everyone, and welcome to today's episode of A Renaissance Woman. If you are new to this podcast, my name is Hannah, and I am currently studying art history at my university with a particular focus on the Renaissance era. I started this podcast as a way to research women during the Renaissance and the role they played in politics, culture, art, science, and religion. This podcast is based on the question posed by art historian Joan Kelly Godol, Did Women Have a Renaissance? This podcast will be bringing attention to the lives of women that the canon of history has overlooked in favor of Renaissance men. Today's episode is on the life of Isabella d'Este, the Marquesa of Mantua. Isabella is known for her scholarly knowledge, her artistic patronage, and her fierceness in Italian politics during the late 15th and early 16th centuries. She wasn't called Machiavellian skirts for nothing. Before starting this episode, I wanted to mention something about the historical materials on Isabella d'Este. In the last episode of A Renaissance Woman, we discussed how there were not many primary source materials on Ginevra de Benci, and how her identity is often construed with the legends that men from the Medici humanist circle proliferated. Isabella d'Este, though, is a rare example of a woman who does have a vast historic material record. Many of her letters have been preserved since the 15th century in Mantua State Archives or in the Gonzaga Archives. There is much more known about her life than about some other Renaissance women that we will be discussing in future episodes of the podcast. The letters sent between Isabella and her husband Francesco Gonzaga, the Marquis of Mantua, are well preserved in the aforementioned archives. There are over 3,000 letters of correspondence throughout their 30-year marriage that, th- that lasted from 1489 until Francesco's death in 1519. Epistolary etiquette is interesting to study in the couple's correspondence. Often when writing letters, the person who was of lesser status was supposed to write more often in their own hand to the person of higher status. Basically, Isabella was supposed to have written her letters by hand to her husband because due to patriarchal norms of the time, the wife was viewed to be of lesser status than her husband. But we can see one example of how Isabella was pushing the norms of gender roles and for equality between sexes by her consistent use of having a scribe write her letters rather than writing a holograph letter in her own hand. Isabella would only write in her own hand if she was asking her husband permission to do something, such as to travel outside of Mantua or if they were having a marital dispute. In one of her letters, Isabella dictated that, quote, I wanted to write in my own hand to your excellency, but having washed my hair today, I spent so much time drying it that the whole day passed, end quote. Truly an iconic woman. We can also see in Isabella and Francesco's correspondence that they would often refer to each other only in formal terms and use full titles to address the other. In the brief quote, Isabella calls her husband, your excellency, rather than using an informal first name or nickname. This is quite indicative of the fact that their marriage was not formed based on the idea of love, but rather as a political alliance. Isabella was Francesco's consort and was able to take care of political matters while he was away fighting in wars. These letters are important because we are able to have a brief glimpse into Isabella's life through these primary source documents from her own hand. Isabella was born May 19, 1474 in Ferrara, a city in northern Italy which is well known for cultural endeavors in music, literature, and art. 
Her father was Ercole d'Este, and her mother was Eleonora d'Aragona of Naples, the Duke and Duchess of Ferrara. The d'Este family and Gonzaga family of Mantua negotiated the betrothal of their eldest children to each other in May of 1480. Isabella was six years old, and Francesco Gonzaga was 13 years old at the time their betrothal was agreed upon. The family swapped portraits of their engaged children, a common practice and use for portrait commissions during the Renaissance. Due to difficulties of travel and because Isabella was ill at the time that the betrothal became official. She is known to have graciously accepted gifts from the Gonzaga family while she was bedridden with sickness. As a child, Isabella was given a very prestigious education, which many women were not allowed to receive at this time. Isabella was schooled in the humanities and learned ancient languages such as Greek and Latin. Throughout her life, she was able to partake in humanist scholarship circles and impress many foreign ambassadors with her knowledge of classical texts. Isabella was also skilled in singing, dancing, and could play the lute very well. She received this high education due to both Ferrara's status as a city with many humanist scholars in cultural endeavors, and also probably because it was known that her future marital union would place her as one of the most powerful women on the Italian peninsula during this period of history. Her betrothed, Francesco Gonzaga, was heir to the Marquisate of Mantua, an important player in Italian politics at the time, due to both their strong humanist society and their military power. The Gonzaga family were famous condottieri, basically equivalent to a mercenary soldier. They were paid by other Italian city-states to fight wars for them. Often, these condottieri families would gain enough power that enabled them to conquer cities that they could then rule for themselves. The Gonzagas of Mantua, the Sforzas of Milan, and the Malatesta of Rimini are infamous examples. The Renaissance cities on the Italian peninsula were constantly at war with each other, and during the late 15th century and the early 16th centuries, Foreign armies, including the French and the Holy Roman Empire, also invaded and took over some of the largest kingdoms in Italy, such as Milan and Naples. Multiple popes during this period of time, especially Alexander VI, also known as Rodrigo Borgia, or Julius II, who was also called Giuliano della Rovere, would also often go to war in order to expand or preserve existing cities within the Papal States region. Basically, being a condottieri during this time was both an important and a dangerous job. There were so many battles and wars happening that there was no chance of them being unemployed. But condottieri also had to be extremely wary of who they allied themselves with. Because whoever they allied themselves with, they could then accidentally create more enemies for themselves and then could also lose their own principalities. It was not always who paid the condottieri the most money. It was a far more political matter than that, because a misguided alliance could mean that the condottieri family could also lose everything. The union of Isabella d'Este and Francesca Gonzaga was important because rather than these families having their child marry into a foreign powers family, they kept the union to be a more local match. Ferrara and Mantua were not far from each other, and therefore this union meant that the two cities and their families would be allied together against any invading powers from either surrounding city-states or from foreign armies. 
The key importance of this alliance during certain times is why Isabella's education was not only focused on domestic pursuits, although she was expected to give birth to heirs, but her role was not only to secure an heir for the Gonzaga d'Este lineage, but also to be a political consort for her future husband. From age six, it was known that she would rule over an important Italian court, and therefore she needed to be schooled in political, humanist, and cultural subjects so that she could adequately negotiate, discuss, and impress ambassadors and visitors to Mantua. Her mother, Eleonora of Naples, was also well-schooled due to similar reasons, and she must have played a role in choosing Isabella's tutors and subjects that she would be educated in. Isabella's younger sister, Beatrice, had a similar betrothal into another condottieri family, the Sforzas in Milan. Beatrice was betrothed to the infamous Ludovico Sforza, the Duke of Milan, a year after Isabella's betrothal. It is once again evident by this marriage agreement that cities in northern Italy were looking to make local matches in order to strengthen alliances within the principalities that were closest to them. Isabella and Francesco remained betrothed until 1489 when they were officially married. Between the time of their betrothal and marriage, they had been able to meet a few times to get to know each other since their family courts were nearby neighbors to the other. During this period of time, Ferrara went to war with Venice, and Francesco Gonzaga's father, Federico Gonzaga, died in 1484, leaving the 17-year-old Francesco as the heir to the Gonzaga Marquisate. Ercole d'Este, Isabella's father, traveled to Mantua to ensure that his future son-in-law would not be usurped by his paternal uncles, a power move that was not unheard of during the Renaissance. The official wedding procession took place in February of 1490. The procession was a grand affair and included many members of the Gonzaga family, with the 16-year-old Bella as the honored bride. The procession also transported her large dowry of 7,000 ducats in cash, jewels, silks, brocades, and her four cassone, or marriage chests. The marriage celebrations were elaborate, and Isabella was recorded as wearing beautiful dresses and riding atop a white horse as she entered the city. At the time of their marriage, Francesca was 26 and was already known to have had multiple children who were considered to be illegitimate since they were born out of, out of wedlock. He was also known to have had many liaisons with women both before and during his marriage to Isabella. When Isabella gave birth to their first child, a daughter named Eleonora, in 1493, he was disappointed that he did not yet have a male heir. Basically, Francesca was kind of a jerk at the beginning of their marriage, and he did not pay much attention to Isabella during these first few years. From Isabella's correspondence with Francesco and her family in Ferrara, we can see that she was putting effort into the relationship, but was basically being ignored due to her perceived lower status as a woman and her younger age. Eventually, Isabella's mother, Eleonora, wrote to her and said that, quote, Knowing you are, unlike, you are likely to be bashful, it will not presume to put yourself forward as would be appropriate. It seems necessary to us in this letter of ours to exhort and admonish you to go often to visit your Lord Consort, end quote. From other correspondence with their mother and her sister Beatrice, Isabella was known to have been nervous about getting pregnant in the process of childbirth, a very real fear for women during the Renaissance because women would often die during childbirth. Isabella's sister, Beatrice, would later die from complications due to childbirth a few years later in 1497. 
but, event- but eventually from letters between Francesco and Isabella, it is believed that they warmed up to each other and found camaraderie in subjects such as sports. In 1492, right before his death, Lorenzo de' Medici cheated in a palio race where he orchestrated for his horse to win over Francesco's stallion. The couple complained to each other about how they were cheated from winning the race and the prize winnings. Francesco then gave Isabella horses of her own, a gift that she loved. Isabella was pregnant with their first child a year later in 1493 and wrote her mother to not tell people that she was pregnant because she did not want her exciting news to go public yet. Isabella gave birth to her first child, a daughter named Eleonora, after her mother on December 31st, 1493. Isabella, disappointed by not having a son, went on a went on a religious sojourn in the months after the birth to visit shrines to thank the saints and the Virgin Mary for the safe delivery of her baby. Isabella began to take on more political matters as her marriage progressed. While Francesca was off fighting in wars, Isabella held down the court in Mantua, welcoming guests and diplomats for negotiations and discussions. She would open her husband's letters and would see what issues she could help delegate while her husband was away. Isabella's mother had played a similar role in the court of Ferrara and therefore must have set a precedent for her daughter to follow. She not only had the role of being a mother to her children, but also to her subjects. In a 1491 letter, Francesco wrote to his sister as he applauded Isabella's role in political matters by stating, quote, We have left the weight and governance of our state and dominion to our illustrious consort, knowing that we can well rely on her prudence and integrity. For even if she is still of tender age, she has shown great promise and ability in events of important and honorable sort, and demonstrates in each of her actions a singular talent, so that we may with ease and tranquility go wherever we wish without looking over our shoulder all the time, knowing that our consort is back at home, managing our government and our affairs." End quote. Besides her role in politics, Isabella also played an important role in artistic patronage in Mantua. She was given rooms in the Tower of San Giorgio Castle, where she furnished her very own studiolo, basically an office or library space. She commissioned well-known artists such as Andrea Mantegna, Pietro Perugino, and Lorenzo Costa to paint allegorical scenes of classical mythology to adorn the walls. Isabella, a humanist scholar herself, had very specific instructions for these paintings commissioned for her studiolo. A perfect example of how specific she was in her commission instructions is this letter she wrote to the artist Pietro Perugino in, 14, in 1503 for his painting of the battle, the battle between the battle of chastity and lasciviousness. That is so hard for me to say for some reason. I'm so sorry. So I'm going to read this letter. It is quite a long letter from Isabella, but here we go. Quote. Our poet invention, which we greatly desire you to paint, is a battle of charity against lasciviousness, that is, Pallas and Diana fighting manfully against Venus and Cupid, and Pallas should appear almost to have defeated Cupid, having broken the golden arrow and cast his silver bow underfoot, holding him with one hand by the band which the blind one wears over his eyes, and with the other lifting her lance which is poised to wound him. And Diana, in conflict with Venus, must appear to show herself to be equal with her victory. 
Venus has been struck by her only on the surface of her body, on her crown and garland, or in some little veil she might have around her. Diana has been burned in her clothing by the torch of Venus, but in no other part will either of them have been wounded. After these four divinities, the most chaste nymphs who follow Pallas and Diana, with various poses and gestures as seems pleasing to you, to have fight bitterly with a lusty throng of fawns, satyrs, and thousands of diverse cupids. And these amori must be smaller than the first, with neither bows of silver or arrow of gold, but with some baser material like wood or iron or whatever you think. And to add more expression and ornament to the pictures, beside Pallas, let there be an olive tree dedicated to her, where her shield and the head of Medusa shall be placed, with an owl placed in its branches, since this is the bird proper to Pallas. Beside Venus shall be a myrtle, as a tree most pleasing to her, but for greater loveliness a commodious landscape is needed, that is, a river or a sea, where fawns, satyrs, and more cupids can be seen coming from coming to the aid of a moor. Some can be observed swimming, others flying or riding on white swans, all coming to join in such a great amorous enterprise. On the shore of the river or sea are Jove, with other gods, as the enemy of chastity, transformed into the bull which carried off the beautiful Europa, and Mercury, like an eagle circling his prey, flies around a nymph of Pallas called Glecura, who holds a chest in her arms which bears things sacred to that goddess, and Polyphemus, the Cyclops, with a single eye, is making for Galatea, and Phoebus for Daphne, already transformed into a laurel, and Pluto, having seized Prosperina, is bearing her off to his infernal realm, and Neptune has seized a nymph who has been transformed almost entirely into a raven. I am sending you all these details in a small drawing, so that with both the written account and the drawing, you will be able to consider my wishes in this matter. But if it appears to you that there are too many figures for one painting, it is left to you to reduce them as seems fitting, as long as nothing is removed from the principal scheme, which is those first four, Pallas, Diana, Venus, and Amor. If no inconvenience occurs, I shall, I shall consider myself satisfied. You are free to reduce the figures, but do not add anything to them. Please be content with this arrangement. End quote. Very specific. Am I right? I honestly feel a little bad for Perugino because apparently he could not include all the things Isabella wanted in this painting. And well, Isabella hated the piece. The painting now hangs in the Louvre and is one of the busiest and most crowded paintings I've ever seen. Honestly, on the verge of being more busy than the Garden of Earthly Delights by Heronius Bosch. Isabella was also very interested in having a portrait painted by Leonardo da Vinci. During the 1490s, Leonardo was working for her brother-in-law, Ludovico Sforza, in Milan, where he was commissioned to paint the famous fresco of the Last Supper in Santa Maria del Grazie. Isabella even reached out to her brother-in-law's mistress, Cecilia Gallerani, whose portrait had been painted by Leonardo, and asked her to send it to Mantua so that she could compare it to other contemporary artists' portraits. Kinda awkward since Isabella's younger sister, Beatrice, was probably not a fan of her husband, Ludovico's mistress, Cecilia Gallerani, so a little awkward. But Isabella wrote multiple times to Leonardo to secure a painting commission. 
but all she ever received was a, was a charcoal sketch of her portrait from the artist. The following are two letters that Isabella wrote to Leonardo. Quote, To Master Leonardo da Vinci, painter, Master Leonardo, hearing that you are staying in Florence, we have conceived the hope that something we have long desired might come true, to have something by your hand. When you were here and drew our portrait in charcoal, you promised one day to do it in color. But because this would be almost impossible since it would be inconvenient for you to move here, we beg you to keep your good faith with us by substituting our portrait for another figure even more acceptable to us. That is, to do a youthful Christ of about 12 years old, which would be the age he was when he disputed with the doctors at the temple and executed that sweetness and soft ethereal charm, which is, a, which is the peculiar excellence of your art. If we are gratified by you in this strong desire of ours, you shall know that beyond the payment which you yourself shall fix, we shall remain so obliged to you that we shall think of nothing else to do you good service. And from this very moment, we offer ourselves to act in your convenience and pleasure. Expecting a favorable reply, we offer ourselves to do all your pleasure. Mantua, May 14, 1504. To Master Leonardo da Vinci, painter. Master Leonardo, some months ago we wrote you that we wanted to have a young Christ, about 12 years old, by your hand. You have replied through Messer Angelo Tavaglia that you would do this gladly, but owing to the many commission works you have on your hands, we doubt whether you have remembered ours. Wherefore, it has occurred to us to send you these few lines, begging you that when you are tired of the Florentine historical theme, you will turn to do this little figure for us by way of recreation, which will be doing us a very glorious service and of benefit to yourself. Farewell, Mantua, October 31st, 1504. Isabella never received these paintings from Leonardo, and this could be for multiple reasons. One, Leonardo da Vinci did not like being given instructions on what to paint. He painted what he himself wanted to paint, whether it was what his clients asked for or not. And two, Leonardo did not finish many works to begin with. He worked on the Mona Lisa for many years and took such a long time to finish The Last Supper that the priors at Santa Maria del Grazie grew annoyed. Basically, it is no big surprise that Leonardo never completed these commissions for Isabella because he honestly was a pretty unreliable artist to hire. But definitely still a genius. Isabella, therefore, was forced to be content with the portrait sketch that Leonardo had sent her previously. During the 1490s, Italy was invaded by the French forces under King Charles VIII of France. He came to an agreement with Pope Innocent VIII that he could take over Naples from King Ferdinand and his son Alfonso, whose lineage came from the Aragons, the same lineage as Isabella's from her maternal side, actually. Charles VIII marched through Italy to take over Naples and created alliances with cities along the way, including Milan, Florence, and the Papal States, who all feared that their cities would be destroyed and pillaged by the invading army if they did not comply. The French took over the Kingdom of Naples in 1495. The victory over Naples scared many Italian cities because now that Charles had shown himself to be a victorious and ruthless leader, they feared other cities would be next to fall under his army. 
Ludovico Sforza, Isabella's brother-in-law, was especially fearful because the rulers of Naples had been vying to take over Milan for many years, and he feared that Charles VIII would attack his city next because he had a claim on Milan, just as he did on Naples, through all this very confusing family genealogy. Therefore, in 1495, the League of Venice was created among Italian cities against the French. The alliance included the Papal States, Mantua, Venice, Florence, Milan, Naples, the whole, and the Holy Roman Empire. The League's army was led by Francesca Gonzaga, Isabella's husband, and the army attempted to cut off Charles's army in northern Italy from reaching France. The conflict came to its climax at the Battle of Fernovo, where the League lost twice as many casualties as the French, and Charles was able to march back into France victoriously. But the League saw it as both a loss and a victory, because for the moment, the French seemed to be vanquished as a threat from their land. Francesco Gonzaga was praised for his military command and worked with Sforza to court the French into peace. Throughout this time, Isabella was also working in Milan and Mantua to ensure peace and security for the Italian city-states. Her role as deputy was very public due to her husband's absence because of war. She had to deal with unrest in Milan because the city's coffers were low and there were food shortages due to the war. According to letters Isabella wrote to Francesco at the war front, she had many troubles asserting her authority over important city leaders due to her gender, but eventually was able to assert her dominance over the male city leaders and was able to get food to those who needed it. But 1495 was not the end of the military conflicts in Renaissance Italy. More was to follow. Charles VIII died in 1498. It was succeeded by King Louis XII, who immediately rallied French forces to invade Milan. Ludovico escaped to Germany, and Louis was able to march into Milan as the victorious new ruler. In his victory succession was Isabella's own father, Ercole d'Este, and her husband, Francesco Gonzaga, who knew that they needed to foster good relations with the French due to their now dangerous familial connection to the Sforzas, whom the French had just ousted from power. But the French were not the only problem that Isabella and Francesco had to deal with at this time. Cesare Borgia was attacking cities across Italy with the permission from his father, Pope Alexander VI. The Deste family was connected to the Borgia family because Lucrezia Borgia, the daughter of Pope Alexander, was married to Alfonso Deste, Isabella's brother, in, four, in 1501. The Deste and Gonzaga family found this marriage to be dishonorable because they did not trust the Borgia family due to their conquest on other Italian principalities similar to their own, such as Urbino. Where Francesco's sister, Elisabetta, was the wife of the ousted ruler, Guidobaldo de Montefeltro. Oh, and it was also important to mention that it's also known that Francesca Gonzaga had an affair with Lucrezia Borgia. So it is fair to say that Isabella was not a fan of her new sister-in-law, both probably for personal reasons and for these very dangerous political reasons. Isabella saw how dangerous these political alliances were and told her husband to write a letter to her, which would then purposely be intercepted by Borgia spies. The letter would tell Isabella that Francesco wholeheartedly supported the Borgia's regime, but in reality, the Gonzagas only sent this letter to appease the Borgia spies so that Mantua would not be their next site of conquest. During these conflicts, Isabella would write to her husband with advice for battlefield tactics, 
and when or when not to engage in battle. Francesco likened himself to the Roman god Mars and considered Isabella to be his Minerva. Military issues continued with the Gonzaga and Borgia families until Pope Alexander's death in 1503. Okay, wow. Sorry, everyone. This episode has a lot of confusing European politics happening, and all of this is happening basically within one decade. I'm stressed just trying to explain it. Imagine being a female consort ruling an entire city during this period of extreme political and military turmoil. In 1500, Isabella gave birth to his son and the heir of the Gonzaga lineage named Federico. The couple had five more children in the eight preceding years, two more boys and three more girls. Isabella ensured that her eldest daughter, Eleonora, received a good education in humanist and political studies under her best tutors because, similar to her mother, Eleonora had been betrothed to another neighboring city's heir, Francesca Maria della Rovere, the nephew of the new Pope Julius II and the son of Guidobaldo de Montefeltro, the current Duke of Urbino, who had regained power after being exiled by Cesare Borgia. Isabella and Francesco also gave their eldest son, Federico, a solid humanist education, but also had him trained in military skills and tactics so that he could, so that he could follow the condottieri path of his other male relatives. Though Isabella and Francesco did not always get along well during their marriage, it is evident through their letters that they grew close because of their love for their children. Isabella wrote letters warning her husband to be careful on the battlefield because if he died, their son Federico would be too young to rule and Isabella would have to battle male relatives and city leaders to keep her family in a position of power. In 1508, news broke that Francesco Gonzaga was in ill health. He was suffering from what was known at that time as Malfrancese, also known as the French disease, which was believed to have been spread throughout Italy during the French invasion in the decade before. The Malfrancese is basically syphilis. This disease had terrible effects on both Francesco's health, but also on his military career. The Papal States, led under Pope Julius II, a warrior pope, had allied themselves with the French King Louis XII, and Francesco Gonzaga was working for the Pope at this time. Gonzaga kept losing and missing battles due to his ill health. The French King did not trust Gonzaga and invited Isabella and her children to have a royal audience with him. Francesco forbade his family to leave Mantua because he was afraid that Louis XII would take them hostage. Isabella did not go and admonished her husband for even thinking that she would be stupid enough to put their family at risk in that way. In 1509, Francesco was captured and imprisoned by the Venetians, who had been long-term foes of Mantua. When Isabella found out about her husband's imprisonment, she took measures to ensure her family's seat of power was preserved. In order to avoid controversy about a woman consort ruling over Mantua single-handedly, she had her brother-in-law, Sigismondo Gonzaga, come and sign any laws and edicts that she created. Isabella attempted to convince Pope Julius II to help her get Francesco released from jail, but he declined due to Isabella helping the exiled women from the Bentivoglio family in Bologna, which Pope Julius II had declared war on three years earlier. She worked to get her husband released from prison, but there were so many political dangers at hand that she had to decline negotiation regarding her husband's release. In one letter, she wrote, quote, 
Though your excellency for this reason may disdain me and deny me your love and your grace, I will be more content to abide with you in this state of disobedience while preserving your state for you than I would be to reside in your grace and see you, together with your children, be deprived of it. I hope that in time, given your prudence and goodness, you will see that I have been more loving toward you than you have been toward yourself. End quote. Eventually, through the work of Isabella and Pope Julius II, Francesco was released in July of 1510 under the condition that he worked for the Papal States again. Because of his ill health, Francesco returned home to Mantua and was basically stuck inside the city. Isabella traveled and worked on political diplomatic matters herself, which angered her husband who felt upset that his wife was doing the job that he thought he was supposed to be doing since he was the Marquis. Isabella continued to travel and to work to preserve her family state, despite her husband's growing anger at their switch in gender roles while he was bedridden. She would often rebuke him in letters about his short temper while she was working extremely hard to create peace between surrounding city-states. Francesco died on the 29th of March, 1519, after nearly 30 years of marriage to Isabella. In his will, he made Isabella and, her, and his two brothers-in-law the regents of Mantua until Federico, aged 19 at the death of his father, became 22. Isabella basically was the sole regent of Mantua for these few years. She acted as regent until her son Federico was old enough to be the Marquis. Instead of staying in Mantua, Isabella left because she disliked how her son had ruled the city and the power that he was giving all of his mistresses in the court. Isabella moved to the Colonna Palace in Rome and was witness to the later sack of Rome by Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, in 1527. Isabella survived the attack because her son Ferrante was a condottiere in Charles V's army. Isabella died at the age of 64 in February 1539 and was buried in the Clarison Convent of Santa Paula, where her daughter Livia had become the prioress. What is Isabella d'Este's legacy in the Renaissance? She was an important patron of the arts and even allowed visitors to see inside her decorated palace and studiolo, hence basically creating one of the first ever museums. She even helped to fund a girls' school in Mantua where young women could receive an education similar to the one that Isabella had received, that her daughter Eleonora had received, and that her mother had received. Isabella was fierce in politics and diplomacy during an extremely dangerous point in European history. She was a celebrated humanist who interacted with many important figures of the Renaissance, including artists like Leonardo, Mantegna, Titian, Perugino, and Renaissance scholars and thinkers such as Castiglione, Pietro Bembo, and Machiavelli. She overcame conventional gender norms of the Renaissance and was able to become a powerful and well-respected female ruler who was viewed as a political equal to her husband and other male leaders. She is the perfect definition of a Renaissance woman because of her many skills, including politics, cultural patronage, humanist knowledge, artistic expertise, motherhood, and diplomacy. When I think about the question, did women have a renaissance, I immediately think of Isabella d'Este and believe that, yes, given the right circumstances, some women, such as Isabella, did have a renaissance. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of A Renaissance Woman. If you are interested in learning more about Isabella d'Este, some sources I would recommend are articles such as Carolyn James's 
Marriage by Correspondence, Politics and Domesticity in the Letters of Isabella d'Este and Francesca Gonzaga, 1490-1519, along with Janie Anderson's Rewriting the History of Art Patronage. Also, in preparation for this podcast, I read Professor Carolyn James's book titled A Renaissance Marriage, The Political and Personal Alliance of Isabella d'Este and Francesca Gonzaga, 1490-1419. This book was very informative on the marriage of Isabella and Francesco, and also included many amazing English translations of the couple's letters. I want to thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. Episodes come out every two weeks, and I am excited to chat with you all again soon. I would love to hear any feedback you have on this podcast episode or any ideas for future episodes that you might have. Feel free to message me directly on my Instagram at arthistoryweekly or email me at arthistoryweekly at gmail.com. Tune in to our next episode where we will be discussing our first woman artist, who is one of the few praised by the Renaissance art historian Giorgio Vasari in his collection of artist biographies titled The Lives of the Artist. Thank you all for listening, and until next time.